Hey y'all, we're rerunning two episodes today, which means you might hear two hosts. Enjoy the show. Welcome to this day in history class. It's July 11th. Today in 1405, Zheng He departed on the first of his many famous voyages from China. Zheng He was born in what's now Yunnan province in southwestern China, and his name was originally Ma He. The Ming army invaded the region where he was living when he was still a boy, and he was taken captive. Almost three years later, he was castrated, which was a really common thing for captives of the army at this time. Many people didn't survive this procedure, but he did, and he was sent to serve Zhu Yanjiang, the Hongwu emperor. He wound up traveling with the prince Zhu Di on military expeditions. Zhu Di eventually became the emperor, that was after a civil war, and he gifted Ma He with a new name, and that name was Zheng. Zhu Di became the Yongle emperor. He decided to mount a series of enormous treasure expeditions, and he selected Zheng He as the commander. This fleet was huge. It contained hundreds of ships, about 2,800 total people in the fleet. And then the ships themselves were huge. The biggest ones were these enormous junks known as dragon ships, and they were laden with the best goods that China had to offer. So porcelain, silks, tapestries, cotton, lacquerware, art, hemp, oils, candles, on and on and on. These were between 390 and 408 feet long and between 160 to 166 feet wide. That's roughly 120 meters long and about 50 meters wide. And they were also full of very luxurious accommodations. These accommodations were for Chinese diplomats and for other diplomats from other countries. The idea was that these ships would go to these countries, they would reestablish diplomatic relationships, and then diplomats would return from those countries back to China. There were also warships in the fleet, supply boats, lots of other vessels. All of these ships had to communicate with each other, and they did this with flags and lanterns and carrier pigeons, and drums and gongs were used on the ships themselves to communicate on board. This fleet that Zheng He commanded went out on seven voyages, and to be clear, they weren't exactly exploring. Most of the routes that they traveled on were ones that other people had traveled, often from the other direction, much earlier in history. Like I said earlier, the point was to re-establish diplomatic and trading relationships, mostly to places that China already knew existed. They did huge diplomatic work during all of this, and these voyages were so far-ranging. They went down the coast of China. They went through what is now Vietnam, Borneo, and Sumatra, on to India and the Arabian Peninsula, and then down the coast of Africa to Mozambique. So, so much of that part of the world covered in these voyages. Yungla Emperor Judy died on August 12th of 1424, And then the next emperor who followed him ordered these treasure voyages to be stopped. But that emperor didn't live long. And when his son assumed the throne, he started up the voyages again. But it was on this one last tremendous treasure voyage that Zheng He actually died. He was probably buried at sea somewhere along the way. He would have been about 60, somewhere in his 60s. In addition to commanding these huge voyages, he had probably taken at least one pilgrimage to Mecca. 
And he also documented all of these voyages. And this would have been just a treasure trove of information about life in all of these places during this time. But in 1477, all of his documents and papers were lost. This might have actually been an intentional act of destruction. And this is one of the reasons why there are accounts of Zheng He's travels that really exaggerate what he did. They even say that he made it all the way to the Americas. He almost certainly did not make it all the way to, to the Americas, but that shouldn't diminish what he did do. I mean, he traveled so far. And the goods that he was taking to all these places were so rich that later on when Europeans started to make their way to these same countries, the people there weren't quite as impressed. They really thought that what they had seen earlier from China was much better. You can learn more about Zheng He in the March 30th, 2016 episode of Stuff You Missed in History Class, and you can subscribe to This Day in History Class on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and wherever else you get your podcasts. Tune in tomorrow for a bizarre deportation. Welcome to This Day in History Class, where we bring you a new tidbit from history every day. The day was July 11th, 1897. Swedish balloonist Solomon August Andre, engineer Knut Frankel, and photographer Niels Strindberg left Denskoya, also known as Danes Island, in a hydrogen balloon. The plan was to travel from Svalbard to Russia, Canada, or Alaska, passing over the North Pole on the way. At the time, people were obsessed with reaching the North and South Poles, but nobody had yet done it. Unfortunately, Andre and his crew's journey would end in their demise. Andre rode in a balloon for the first time in 1892. Soon after, he bought his own balloon, called the Sevilla. He took nine trips in it on his own, making observations and updates to the balloon along the way. At the time, steering was a big problem that balloonists needed to solve in order to control balloons better. On his sixth trip, Andre used drag ropes to slow the balloon and a sail to try to steer it. Drag ropes hang from the balloon basket and drag on the ground. Since the ropes were heavy and created friction, they slowed the balloon to the point where the sails could keep it from just traveling with the wind. But drag ropes weren't particularly effective in controlling a balloon. Andre took his last trip in a Sevilla in March of 1895. He was sure he could use a balloon to travel long distances and discover new places, including the North Pole. By 1897, people had already unsuccessfully attempted to reach the North Pole. Sweden was behind in Arctic exploration and eager to up its game. Despite Andre's relative inexperience with ballooning and the ineffectiveness of drag ropes, he was convinced he could raise the money to fly to the North Pole in a balloon. Dynamite inventor Alfred Nobel and Oscar II, the King of Sweden, helped finance the construction of a balloon to take on a polar expedition. The balloon was built in Paris from 600 pieces of fortified silk, and it was called the Eagle. A five-story house was built for the balloon on Danes Island, in Norway's Svalbard archipelago. The house protected the balloon from wind interference while it was being filled. Andre chose meteorologist Niels Eikholm, an assistant professor of physics Niels Strindberg, to accompany him on his trip to the North Pole. 
But after the team could not get the right winds to set off on their trip in 1896, Andre had to go back to Sweden to raise more money, and Iacom quit the expedition. He was replaced by civil engineer Knut Frankel. Strindberg would take photographs, and Frankel would record scientific observations. The crew got back to Danes Island in May of 1897. Strindberg estimated that it would take them from 30 to 60 hours to reach the North Pole. He wrote, Once having reached the northernmost point, we don't care where the wind carries us. Of course, we would rather land in Alaska near the Mackenzie River, where we would very likely meet American whalers, who are favorably disposed toward the expedition. It would really be a glorious thing to succeed so well. But even if we were obliged to leave the balloon and proceed over ice, we shouldn't consider ourselves lost. We have sledges and provision for four months, guns and ammunition, hence are just as well equipped as other expeditions as far as that is concerned. On July 11th, the balloon lifted off from Danes Island carrying the three men. It lost three of its four guide ropes, lost gas from some of its seams, and became frozen and waterlogged as the expedition traveled north and higher in altitude. The gas leaked so much that the basket ended up striking the Arctic ice. After 65 hours and 33 minutes of travel, over 517 miles, or 832 kilometers, they were forced to bail from the balloon. They were still hundreds of miles south of the North Pole. They started out heading southeast, toward a depot they had arranged for on an archipelago in Russia. But because the ice was drifting, they were heading west faster than they were east. So they headed southwest for another depot, but that too proved a useless journey as the ice sent them south-southeast. Surviving in the harsh freezing temperatures was difficult. They ate bears, seals, and ivory gulls, and they camped on ice floes. Frankel and Andre got diarrhea, which got so bad they took morphine and opium for it. A blister on Frankel's foot made him incapable of pulling his sledge. As conditions got worse, they planned on wintering on Kvitoya, or White Island, and continuing the journey in the spring. Andre's last diary entry was for Friday, October 8th. When they died is unknown, but they could not have lasted much longer after they reached White Island. It's also not clear how they died, though it was likely not by murder or suicide. It could have been from poisoning by metal cans, drowning, dehydration, botulism, or a polar bear attack, among other potential causes. In 1930, the crew of a ship called the Bratvog found the remains of Andre, Frankel, and Strindberg, their campsite, their journals, and Strindberg's film on White Island. 93 of Strindberg's photos were recoverable. I'm Eve Jeffcoat, and hopefully you know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at T-D-I-H-C Podcast. Thanks for joining me on this trip through history. See you here, same place, tomorrow. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.